Welcome to The Ziggler Show. I'm your host, Kevin Miller, and this is our Q&A show. Every week, we post a personal development question on my Facebook page at Agent K. Miller to hear the real-world testimonials of people's journeys to change and grow. In this show, our topic is, again, fear, and I bring you today a live coaching session on fear and doing it scared with Ruth Sukup. In episode 691, she and I dug into her fear archetypes that she just brilliantly outlines and the reality that we all do have a type of fear, some types of fear. Well, for this Q&A show, I veered away from my norm, didn't ask an actual question. Instead, I asked people to take Ruth's fear assessment and report what they found. And you can find that assessment at doitscared.com slash assessment, doitscared.com slash assessment. Nearly 50,000 people have taken that assessment at this point, we added about 50 more. So our folks took the assessment and commented on Facebook about their results. And what a conversation I'm here to say again, that this assessment, it's one of the most valuable and eye opening types of you know assessment or profiles that I've taken. in as long as I can remember, well, we categorized all the comments and I asked Ruth to come back and read through everyone's comments with me. Uh, the big value and takeaway I think is just understanding where we have fear, where you have fear, where it's manifesting in your life. Cause it's going to be different for different people. Even the same type of fear is going to manifest differently. And overall, that's what we found people saying, uh, first off the assessment nailed them for the most part and how they're working to deal with their fears. But the discussion with Ruth just added the dramatic insight into how we are all so unique. And even when sharing the same category of fear, it can still play out different or we can still have different responses. Uh, it's just not all apples to apples. So it was so insightful in understanding how we deal again, how we engage with our own fear. And again, the point is understanding your fear, let's say propensity and learning how to do it scared, go forward, scared, uh, and achieve what you desire in the face of that fear. Uh, maybe until you don't even recognize it anymore. Well, Ruth, as, as I told you, I generally, I generally always ask a question. This is the first time that I didn't, because I just wanted people to do the assessment and report back. That was the most I think that's what impacted me the most in doing it myself. And then I think, as you know, I had my family do it. And as we talked about it, I thought, that's, that's, I want to hear people's candid responses. So that's what we gave out. It looks like we had around 50 folks who went, took the assessment and came back. And I know, gosh, last I heard you've had what, 30, 30,000, some people I take it. I think we're closer to 50,000 at this point. Yeah. It's been, it's been insane. The that's, response to it. Well, I'm not surprised. And, and, and Again, I've done so many assessments, so many profiles, and I can't remember the last time that I did one where I got a response back that was so revelatory, honestly. Uh, and I think that's what people found out here. So, you know, I was sharing with you a little bit. And I wanted you to go ahead and comment on the show here. So we sent those out and I know you do have stats on what the norms in our culture, what the majority responses are now, obviously, you know, similar to you, you got your own podcast. I mean, this is a, I'll call them a group. I do. I call them a, these are our aspiring people. You know, they're not yes. the ones listening to. Uh, mind candy. They're here to learn. So I would assume <laughs> they're growth oriented individuals. Thank you. Like I that. like, that's a better, that's a better <laughs> way of saying it. They are. So maybe it's skewed a little bit, but so maybe these aren't, well, I'll let you respond because out of the, out of the about 50, you know, excuse maker, we only had one who took the report and said they got theirs back as excuse maker. Though, you know what? I will throw this in there. That's what my wife got. And she was really? really surprised though, when she read it, she, Oh my gosh. So she's still grappling with that one. Um, <laughs> outcast. Some we of them feel a little more shaming than others. And so you have to be really careful about not like taking this as a shaming experience, but more as a learning experience and like getting insight into yourself. So, because that's what growth is all about. It's like being willing to hold up the mirror and go, okay, where can I, where can I use this, um, to help me, help me grow even more. Well, it's interesting. I want you to comment more on that as we go through this, because okay. it's, I think shame. Yeah. It's easy. I, even for myself for what I got, well, and, and I was, so on outcast, that's me. I think mm -hmm. you said that's you too, right? Yep. Um, outcast only four, um, out of the folks who responded did that. Out of, and you said 50. Yep. 
So what percentage is that? Four out of 50. I think that's math. I don't do that well. <laughs> I know. I can't do it on the fly. 50, 10% would be, that's 5%. That's le- 5%. less than 5%. Oh yeah. That is pretty, that is lower than our normal. Okay. Than our normal percentage. But 50 is probably not a big enough sample size to have it be like statistically valid. I, um, okay. Yeah. Well, <laughs> I've learned so much about, about the science of all of these things. Oh, I, and that's, that's why we're, that's why we're doing this. Well, rule follower, uh, we had 10 procrastinator, 10, and then people pleaser, 18. Now, the only other thing on this is, is us saying, okay, this is a growth oriented group. This is also Facebook. That's where I posted yeah. it. So these are the people mm-hmm. who are more prone to be on Facebook. There's gotta be some stats behind that. I have not looked at those. I assume we should throw that in too. I would say that one of that there are people who are people pleasers are more prone to take action for a call to action, like taking an assessment on that. So that probably, I would say that probably skewed the results a little bit. What we found, um, we did a beta version of this assessment um, when we were in, in the development phase. And we had, I think about three or 4,000 people take the beta version. And with the beta version, we found that procrastinator was number one um, by far. I think that was normally about 40% had procrastinator as number one. And then there, um, the next two were almost tied, which was rule follower and people pleaser. And then the outcast, which I think were about 20% each. And then the outcast was fourth with 15% of the population. And then the other three, the self-doubter, the excuse maker, and the pessimist, where it had very small percentages, like in the 5% um, range. And so it's not, it's not uncommon that you would only have one excuse maker, only maybe not even any pessimists or, um, self-doubters from that sample size, because it's, it's, those are smaller percentages. What we're finding now that we've had, you know, we have the the final version done and now we've had almost 50,000 people take it. We're still tracking the percentages and they have shifted a little bit. Procrastinator is a little lower and, um, rule follower and, um, people pleaser are a little higher. And so those three are almost equal now. Procrastinator is still number one, but it's down to about 30%, whereas the other two are about 25% each of the population. But those three by far are the top three. And then outcast is usually number four. And then the other ones are still um, quite, quite a bit lower. Okay. Well, yeah, it almost makes me go back to what you said a minute ago on, on shaming. Like, should I feel more ashamed that I'm in the lower ranking of the majority there? But I mean, we'll speak to that a little bit because I think it is easy. And I did, I saw this with myself and my own feelings and my family somewhat where there are these feelings of like, Oh my gosh, I don't want, I mean, mine, uh, the outcast that I reject relationships before I get yeah. rejected. I'm not proud of that. Uh, no. Okay. No. And so, yeah, let's speak to that a little bit because they do all, these are fear archetypes. So they do all have negative sounding names that aren't great. It's not, you know, you can wear your, your procrastinator label or your people pleaser label or whatever it is with the, like as a badge of honor, you know, I kind of sometimes like, yeah, I am an outcast. I wear that a little bit proudly, but maybe that's just my inner outcast coming out because <laughs> for most right. people, I think right. it's not meant to be necessarily a badge of honor. It's a, it's your, it's where it's, it's where your fear is holding you back. So they all have negative sounding names. But that said, it's not intended to be something that should be a source of shame because we all have fear. We all have a little bit of all seven of these archetypes within us. And the other thing that's really important to understand about each one of these fear archetypes is that they each have something in them that is also serving us. There's something that aids us, that's helping us, that has been it's not only been help holding us back, but it's actually been serving us in some way in our life, which is probably what, one of the reasons that we tend to cling to that fear, because there's a part of a part of that fear that's protecting us. And so say for the procrastinator slash perfectionist archetype, that piece of that, that is, you know, allows you to have great attention to detail that makes you very organized, that you would do really high quality work. Those are all good, positive qualities. Those are things that can help you in your life too. They're not just holding you back. So it's really important 
with when you're starting to look into these fear archetypes to understand that there is a part of that that's helping you and you you want to maintain that and keep and hold on to that part that's helping you but you do need to learn how to mitigate the part of it that's holding you back and keeping you stuck from from actually stepping outside your comfort zone or going after these bigger goals and dreams okay well on that let me ask a question because let's take personality profiles like the disc profile. That's the one that I grew up with the most. And on that, I always appreciated that they had a couple graphs. They had, here's who you are, your base nature. And then here's how you modify yourself. If you so do, some people do, some people don't. Mine always had quite a bit of modification uh, on that in the same sense, you know, seeing these things, is there an aspect of okay, this is who you tend to be naturally, even though you may be currently not acting in that manner. And I asked that, I'll I'll ask that in a preface. We did have uh, three, it looks like three different people that they listed, that they put in a category here for people who did not feel it was necessarily accurate. Now I said, you know, any test, any profile is going to have some anomalies on it, but my curiosity was, did people sometimes read this and maybe it got them for, Hey, that's your nature, but they have grown out of that or are acting outside of that. So it didn't resonate with them. Thoughts. Yeah, it's, it's possible. And it's also possible that they scored lower in their percentages for the archetype. So, and I have seen that there, you know, especially for people who have done, because we're, we're dealing with a lot of growth oriented individuals who are listening Mm -hmm. to this podcast. So if you have done a lot of that self-work already, it is possible that you're scoring lower on the, on your percentage. So I've seen people score, you know, off the charts, like 90% for, for one of what one or more of their fear archetypes. And that means, and then, and those are usually the people that are like, Oh my gosh, this nailed me perfectly. The lower that percentage goes, the less it's going to feel like it's necessarily nailing you. So so yes, it's all, it all works on a continuum. Of course, no assessment is going to be 100% exact for every single person in every single scenario, but there are enough enough things that are probably resonating, especially the higher that your score goes, if that makes sense. Told, and what yeah. I have found for people is that the the benefit of this particular Um, assessment is almost in the fact that so much of our fear happens subconsciously without us actually realizing that it's fear, that we don't, we don't recognize it as fear in our lives. We don't label it as fear. We don't, we, we experience it as truth. We experience it as this is just the way I'm, I'm wired. This is just the way I'm built and we don't necessarily see it. So it's amazing for people. Yes, we do provide and we do offer some, here's some suggestions for how you can work with this fear, overcome this fear. But honestly, like the biggest impact is almost having, having your eyes open to the fact that the fear is manifesting itself in your life in a certain way. Yeah. Yeah. And the one that led me off, there was a guy, Walter here. He says, it says I'm the excuse maker. I find this result dubious. It says I don't take personal responsibility and I shy away from leadership roles. Both, both are exactly the opposite of what I do. Uh, Yeah. And so that was my question there. Is he, is that something where, gosh, that's his nature, but maybe he's, he's grown out of it. Thank goodness. He's a growth minded guy. (laughs) Well, okay. So I have a few, I have a few thoughts about that. Please. I have found that the excuse maker archetype, there's two archetypes, the excuse maker and the pessimist that tend to have um, the hardest time with that, their diagnosis for, um, and I even addressed, I actually addressed that in, in the book because those, the nature of those two personality types, I think automatically like causes you to go, wait a minute, this like have a stronger reaction. And so to speaking to this shame aspect, there's almost more of a shame aspect that happens with those, the ones that is, that are hard to accept the excuse maker. I mean, the underlying fear there for the excuse maker is the fear of taking responsibility. And so, I mean, it's almost ironic when you, when you have the most people who get that that archetype because I did I got some some actually very angry when we were doing the beta testing I got some very angry emails from excuse makers who are like this isn't me at all you don't know me I can't believe that you would do that and more than excuse maker especially considering that that's one of the lowest percentages uh, it was a disproportionately high number of 
um, that archetype that would complain about the, <laughs> about their results. So I think there's like, you have to take a little bit of it with a grain of salt, but yeah. also understand that even in the diagnosis, it, it's not necessarily that every single thing that I say, like an excuse maker tends to do these different things. That's not always going to be 100% accurate, but there probably are, if you're really like, if you're willing to dig deep and hold up that mirror to yourself, there probably are some aspects of that personality or of that fear archetype that are holding you back in some way, but you have to be willing to look at them. Well, it, you know, the guy, uh, the, the one person who, who said, yes, he, what he accept that Thomas Zelensky, he says the excuse maker, he says, it's quite, uh, quite spooky how accurate this is. I am, as I type literally looking into this very issue. If people knew my whole story, dot, dot, dot. And I wondered you know, how, when you look at this, how much credit value weight do you give to the nature versus nurture aspect of this is who these people were, were came out of the womb as to some degree, or because of circumstances, they grew into this. We have somebody that we'll get to here that said, who referenced their, uh, I think modeling after their father, the, the influence there. So to ask that, cause he's talking about if, if people knew my whole story, how, where are your thoughts on that as far as, yeah, again, just a natural reaction or because of you tend to see X, Y, Z excuse makers often had X, Y, Z in their background or something like that. Yeah. Um, I, so we didn't specifically test for that that nature versus nurture. We okay. haven't done like the actual research and had had a chance to explore that fully within our, within our research. So anything that I say right now is pure speculation on my point on my part. But we'll call it evidence based, okay? Yes, All evidence right. based. My hunch and what I've what I've watched is I think it's a little bit of a combination of both. I think that there are, you know, there's a lot that happens within within the way that we're raised or with the, with the experiences that we have as childhood or in school or with peers, like different things can definitely play an impact. It, and the fact that, you know, some people do like maybe had a great mentor in their life that maybe they were one way at one point, And then all of a sudden they had somebody else that changed the way that they're changed their mindset and changed the way they started looking at life or got them to start thinking about something else. So I think it's definitely changeable. I don't feel like these fear archetypes are set in stone. Um, but I think part of it is also the way that we are wired. Like we're just you know, that we're born that way. Why are two kids that come out of the same family with the same parents, completely different personalities? I have two, we were talking about yeah. our kids right before we started recording. I have two girls who are two years apart and, and my husband and I tend to treat them like a unit, but they are so different from each other. And they're get, they're, get, they're having the same childhood in my eyes, but they're really not the same person. So it's a little bit of both. And I think that they definitely, that, that the more work you do on yourself, um, the more you really are willing to hold up a mirror to yourself and do these types, this type of work, um, and be real and really focus on changing your mindset and, and how can I improve and what can I change? Um, you can actually change the way fear is manifesting in, in your life. Also, you might have natural tendencies towards one fear archetype more than another, um, or it could, could change completely, or maybe it just sort of, you know, they all, your percentages go down. Well, and that's the hope obviously of yeah. this and the reason for doing it. And thanks to these sponsors for bringing us today's show. Well, let me go through a few of the questions or the, the responses here. So in Outcast, which we did the math, so about 5% of our folks there, I'll read a couple of them here. Dan Brandenburg, he says, I guess I shouldn't be surprised that we're the same. He's referring to me. I, I know Dan. He says, I too am the Outcast. I'm, I'm tempted to, well, here, I'll just share. He said, I'm tempted to buy the full report. Did you, was it insightful? And I said, yes, we did have a good number of people who said that they went and got the full report. Everybody who did every response I got was the value uh, of that. I had everyone in my family do that as well. So there's my, there's, there's my promo, shameless promotion the plug there. for it. I, well, I'll just respond to that because I totally agree The the full report is so insightful because it not only 
shows you your top three and how those three tend to interact to sort of make up your unique fear fingerprint. But it also shows you your percentages on all seven. So you can really get an idea of where you're at on all seven of them because there might you might go, well, th- you know, several of them resonate with me. And I've seen it. Um, on some of our respondents, they've, I've seen people score high on six out of the seven fear archetypes where they are really dealing with a lot of fear in their life. Well, uh, so I'll be candid on that. It, and it shows the graph of your overall fear. And I was past the 50% mark. I can't remember where it was 60, something like that, but I was, I wouldn't have expected that I had, that I was manifesting that much fear in my life, but yeah, the, having the full report and seeing the other, uh, aspects w- that's what helped me to understand better what my highest score was, which for me again was the outcast. So Julianne black here, she says, I also got the outcast. I'm pretty surprised. I have always been extremely independent and thought my more loner tendencies came from simply being independent and not caring what others thought. So seeing fear of rejection didn't make sense, but reading the description really did cut to the core, passing up relationships, forfeiting opportunities and struggling with teams, self uh, being self-motivated and persistence. She said that all lined up. So, uh, that's a, that is a perfect example of what I'm talking about, because she, you know, she was her independent spirit was probably a source of pride for her. Cause there's a part of that, that probably has served her well as an outcast. You know, there's that, that part piece for outcasts where they're like, I'm just going to, I don't care what other people think. I'm going to do this. I'm going to go after it. They tend to be go-getters. Um, and there's, and, and that was like in her, for her, that's just the way that she was wired and not even realizing that there was a piece of that that was actually not serving her and holding her back in her life. And I think for I, as an outcast, I can absolutely relate to that particular one because I don't think until I even did this work, I realized how much my outcast part piece of my life was holding me back and how much, how often I would reject others before they could reject me, or I would not want to ask people for help and not want to not want to collaborate or not trust that, you know, even my employees could get things done. And that's been something that I've had to really, really work on in my life and in my business. And so that's where it's so amazing that just having your eyes open to that, having it not having it become conscious versus subconscious is sometimes enough to make a difference in your life. Uh, absolutely. And, and he, you know, here's another, I'm going to do one more because it was interesting to me. Uh, Chris Johnson, he said outcast 86%. That was just was high. Wow. He says, although I've never been a leader, um, I have never been self-motivated and driven. Um, uh, but the, the description, you know, fit me otherwise. And, and I was, it, the leader concept is, uh, I have a little bit of a difficulty you know, more and more. We have so many books, so many resources, so many things pointing at leadership. And I find that culturally not, there's a lot of people who don't want that term. They don't resonate with the term of leader. And even myself, I don't know that I have a driven propensity to lead others. I want to influence them. I don't like to ask for help. So I, I, do I lead I lead myself and sometimes I'm just a loner and I'm leading yeah. myself in that way instead of following somebody else. And I think that's another term of leadership. I would be interested to know if Chris here is a kind of guy who kind of goes it alone and does his own thing. I, I would say it's still an aspect of a leader. Not everyone in that genre wants to, cause we think of leader, it's somebody who's pulling along, pushing along, whatever, a group of people. Um, yeah. That's not, yeah, I think you could be a leader in your own, in your own life also. I mean, it's, it's the term for me, leader versus follower. Are you self-directing where you want to go or are you following what other, somebody else is directing for you? And I think for an, as an outcast, you, you tend to want to forge, forge your own path. Now, some, the, and, and outcasts can make really great leaders of others, but they can also make horrible leaders of others sure. because they have such trust issues. And if you're trying to lead a team, uh, trust issues can really trip you up. <laughs> well, goodness. Yeah. Okay. So, so there's, there's some on the, uh, on that one rule followers, what I had listed next, we had about 10 folks, whatever percentage that is, uh, who said they were rule followers. So a couple here, uh, Diamante, she says, 
Uh, absolutely rule follower. When you're most afraid of coloring outside the lines, that is who I was. Maybe some instincts still put me in that category. I remind myself of what is true. What often goes against what I feel. Uh, thank God I am building the muscle of choosing my thoughts and picking helpful truths that are edifying. Oh, I love that. And that's such a great example of, of exactly what we're talking about that as you're doing this work, as you're in touch with where that fear is holding you back, you can actually start to really consciously work to overcome it. And for, and, and again, rule followers, there's a lot to being a rule follower that serves, that serves you well. Um, there's, you know, I have, I have a lot of students who are rule followers and some of my most successful students are rule followers because in my, in my blogging course, I tell people that like, you need to do the steps. You need to do every step and follow follow the steps step by step. And those are the people that do it. They follow all of the steps and they see the success because they're like, okay, I have this framework. So if you, as a rule follower, know that about yourself, then you can find, you can find ways to help yourself by saying, okay, I just need somebody to give me a structure or give me somebody to follow. And then I can follow through on it and actually accomplish what I want to accomplish. Goodness. And, and those are people who I've found I need in my life, but they have a very difficult time dealing with me because <laughs> yes, rule followers and outcasts can have like a, a big, <laughs> I, I have, I have uh, probably more than one, but specifically one of my kids and it was difficult because I caused a lot of instability. I had a really hard time leading him because I would just say, look, here's what I want done. Here's the end result. Just go do it. And he's like, well, how? I don't know how. I don't. I don't. You're going to figure it out. And it, and, uh, it caused instability. I see that with employees. So it's a, it's, a, it's a struggle. Well, here's another one I think you'll like. She says, um, uh, Sophia Hyde, I got rule follower. I can definitely see that when I look back on past experiences, uh, I, I actually had one major failure in business. And when my husband and I talk about it, it's because I didn't take the steps I knew in my gut were the best actions. Instead, I was too eager to please the coaches I had. Social media was changing the industry. And as a millennial, I should have led the pack. Instead, I followed the rules they handed me and didn't want to disrespect their coaching. So I listened and missed some major opportunities. It wasn't until I quit the business and was able to see it from the outside and that my fear of disappointing my leadership uh, cost me my success in that business. Wow. That's powerful. And Insightful. that's a powerful realization to come to, uh -huh. to, to see that side of it. Like, again, it can be the double-edged sword. So as a rule follower, that's such a great warning too. You better make darn sure that the person that you're listening to, if you're a rule follower, if you need to have a structure is somebody worth listening to, okay. like make sure that your authority figure is actually the authority that you want to be listening to, that they know what they're talking about. I tell people that all the time before, you know, before signing up for a course, you need to ask yourself two things. And this goes for any, any course that you're taking for any subject matter. It is number one, is this person somebody that I can learn from? Is their teaching style, the, some, uh, like the way that they talk, the way that they teach, does that mesh with the way my brain works? And you can, I mean, everybody does free trainings or free webinars, like go on those Find out, is this somebody that is actually talking in a way that is making sense to the way my brain works? That's number one. Number two is, is this person getting the results and are their students getting the results that I want to get in my own life, my own business? Because if they're not, if you're not seeing those results, if they, if they're all smoke and mirrors and, yeah. and uh, like big talkers, but not actually showing, showing actual results, then run far, far, far away. <laughs> so <laughs> well, that is, that is how you know whether or not a course is worth taking. That's, that's great. And this is why I wanted to do this is the make sense of, of people who are grappling with the results and they see some, well, here's another one, Veronica Hatton. She says, uh, the rule follower was a 46% match and, and this is interesting. She says, not sure I agree with that as I've always gone full force into life. And when anyone has told me, but there are rules, my response every single time has been rules are meant to be broken. But, but, and he says, but on that note, when I do things, they do have to be done in a certain way. Uh, I know, which to me, that was the telltale thing because I am not a rule follower and I, I have no certain ways on anything. I don't care. Just get the result, knock yourself out, yep. do it however you want. And so for her to say that, I thought, well, I kind of, 
That's, that belies a little bit there, huh? Yeah. Interesting, though, that she was 46%. So that's actually on the lower end. That's below 50%. So she has definite rule follower tendencies, but she's not like a 90% rule follower. A 90% rule follower would not say rules are meant to be broken. A 90% rule follower would be like, oh, rules are meant to be followed all the time. And there is somebody out there who is waiting to crack down on me if I break a rule. It doesn't uh, matter what the rule is. Okay. Well, this one brought up a, a question that I had had. Uh, actually, it, was, it was, came from my wife. But uh, So I'll, I'll read it. Judy Tootin, she says, I got a 60% match for rule follower. The, this, the positives resonate with me, and I can see myself as a play it safe, follow the rules gal. I also see why I'm only a 60% match. I don't fear others' opinions. I don't have a problem giving myself grace, probably give myself too much. I think the biggest thing that keeps me from being motivated to be creative and break out, as it says, is that I don't have a lot of goals and ambitious ambitions career wise. My goals and ambitions lie more with teaching and training my kids, being a good spouse, friend, etc. And that what was interesting to me in, in regards to her saying that, that maybe she was not that disappointed in the negative aspects of it is my wife questioned that too. So she was the excuse maker. And I think it was in terms of talking about leadership that they're, that they're maybe if I've got it right, they're not as prone to be leaders. Mm -hmm. And she says, I, she says, I'm fine with that. I don't want to be, I have no desire to be, I don't like doing that. I like being collaborative. I like there being, we've always talked. I, I love a blank page. Give me a blank page and create a framework. Then I'm done. Somebody else put all the meat and bones on it. She's exactly the opposite. So give me a framework. I hate the white paper. My, my business partners are the same way. I hate the white paper. So Kevin do that part and then let me jump in. So in that sense, I guess my question is, is that, does that happen where you have folks and it shows kind of, here's the negative side and they say, I'm okay with that. Is that Yeah, no, actually that's very, very true. And that's a really good point, but there's for every single one, there's positive aspects and negative qualities of those things. So there are parts of that archetype that are going to be holding you, holding you back. So if you're at a point in your life where you're an excuse maker and you are great with the fact that you're not in a position of like, like that, you have no desire to that. That doesn't mean you should, that's, that's not the area where it's holding you back, but you do have to question, okay, are there aspects of this that are holding me back in certain things? Am I, you know, do I not, put forth my opinion. Do, am I afraid to pick the restaurant because I don't want to be held re- responsible if somebody else doesn't like it? I mean, there are parts of that that might be holding you back in different ways. It might not necessarily be specifically in that because for excuse maker, they tend to be really skilled observers and they're really good at seeing, you know, seeing what other people are doing and, and saying, Oh, okay. I think you could probably do this and, and take, I mean, there's so many good qualities out that come out of that particular, um, that particular fear archetype. And so it's really for every single one of these, it's the same thing. It's a matter of understanding what parts of that archetype are actually holding you back and keeping you stuck or hindering your life in some way. Is there an aspect of your life where you're afraid to take responsibility or afraid to fully dive in and own and take ownership of of whatever what's happening to you or what what you're doing and ask yourself and that and if the answer is no I really don't think so then great then you're probably in a really good place but if you're being honest with yourself there there might be one or two areas where you're like yeah I probably do have some some room for improvement in that area well and, and on that again we're talking about our growth mindset audience here yeah. and so many people are talking about how they are working against it. So let me share this one. Uh, Natalie Vilson, I'm a rule follower, 57% match. Uh, authority figures stir up irrational fear in me. I, I can't agree with that. When it comes to people in authority, I feel like a child who can't speak. I'm so anti-risk. Interest, interest, interestingly, I wasn't always that way. But that's in the past five years. I've seen how I have become fearful of making mistakes. Help me, Lord. And I thought, you know, here's somebody who's sharing. And again, the point of doing this, sharing what it sounds like is she is seeing her growth in fear, uh, which is again, a point of like, as you said before, of getting this out on the table so that we can see it and how many people are here right now. And they're not getting less fearful. They're in a place because of whatever, 
where mm-hmm. they're growing in that fear. And this is a good time to take that into account, obviously. Right. And sometimes there are, you know, life circumstances, something happens, maybe you made a big mistake and that can having some sort of failure or something that happens where you like you start to question your ability to have that fear. It's it's natural and it might be temporary. And that like part of it, again, is is like putting it out into the light and opening your eyes to it and going, okay, so if this is where, if this is how fear is playing out in my life right now, then what can I do? What can I do right now to a, like make sure that I'm replacing those thoughts of fear and those, those limiting beliefs that are happening right now with something more positive and something that's more, that is going to get me back on track and, and where I can just say, okay, this is my fear talking right now, but I don't have to let this fear control me. And I'm going to do it scared and do it anyway. And, and actually push past it so that I can build up my courage muscle. And you have to sometimes build up your confidence, especially if it's in a case like that, where you've had something, some sort of setback, some sort of tragedy, some sort of mistake or failure or bomb or misstep. I mean, I'm not immune to that. I'm sure you as an entrepreneur have had times where you've gone after something or you've done something and you thought it was going to work and it didn't. And all of a sudden you're like, maybe I don't know what I'm doing. And now what, what if I, I don't, I don't want to take another risk. I don't want to do this. I'm, I, it happens all the time, yeah. but I mean, it's like that, the old adage about getting back on the horse after you, after you fall off, it's really true. You have to, you have to um, keep working on pushing past it. Well, and you mentioned that courage muscle and I'll pull people back again to our initial show together, which was show 691. And we talked a lot about courage and this one's interesting. It says a uh, rule follower. Yep. That's me. I want to get the facts right. So they don't come back to haunt me. Unfortunately, I want everyone else to follow the rules too. And that sometimes gets me in trouble. Great interview with Ruth. And that was from Joanne Miller. Um, oh, that's my awesome. dear mom who you know. <laughs> And she said she's going to That's pass awesome. this along to everyone. You know, on that note, here's another one. Berna Omsberg. She says the rule follower, 57% match. It sounds right. I still want to read the whole report about it, to, about me tomorrow. She says, I just listened to the new episode with Ruth yesterday. I loved it. I went on to my Audible account right away and got her Audible copy of the book. I'm listening already, and it's a great book. Thank you. So oh, that's amazing. share that with you. All right. Well, here, let's jump to another one. This is the procrastinator, okay. which we, again, had another 10 uh, folks take. And so here's one procrastinator and it was spot on. It's funny because I'd envision the procrastinator as a high C personality style, which is not me. However, the detail oriented side is more about my desire to be a high achiever, to be the best I can be. So when I have a big project or task, I tend to take a long time prepping for it or procrastinating. And when I do start, I hyper-focus and work like crazy to make it something I'm proud of. I can be very particular about how I want to do something and have high standards for myself. So oftentimes I tend to delay it until I can put all of my attention to it. And then I'm super work mode, knock it out. It's rare. I miss a deadline I set, but I, I'm, but it's pretty common that it's last minute. That was from Ashley Locks and my sister, who I believe you also know. That's awesome. Yeah, That's awesome. Yeah. That she basically described the classic procrastinator archetype right there. And a lot of times for the people are surprised when they get that, the procrastinator, the, the, the immediate reaction is, oh, I'm not a procrastinator. I'm like, I'm doing things so far and out in advance, right? I'm planning everything way, way in advance. But that is actually sometimes a form of procrastination yeah. is being overly prepared or overly planning. And it really is more of the perfectionistic tend- tendencies that people tend to go, oh yeah, yeah, I am a, I am a perfectionist. I'll accept that label, but not the procrastinator label. Yeah, I, I can see that. Well, and Brian Stewart puts the word that I always have heard in regards to that, especially like with the disc profiles, he says, uh, procrastinator, 49% match. I definitely indulge in too much analysis, paralysis, and perfectionism. And that's the word that I always got is the people who don't pull the trigger. They're just analyzing, analyzing. And, uh, and, and there's the frustrations with that, obviously. Yes. Yes. Um, Peyton English, she says, I'm a procrastinator. It's a hundred percent true. I tend to miss opportunities. I'm slow at executing and I have extremely high standards, but it also makes me produce excellent work. I'm organized and have great attention to detail. So it's all exactly on point. 
Yeah, there you go. Pretty much everybody was like that. Elizabeth, uh, it fits me to a T. I like doing projects, but I tend to wait until the last minute. But when I do them, the detail is there. Sometimes I don't do things because I'm afraid I will fail and get stuck. Um, you know, I'm going to ask a personal question on that because I tend okay. to do this somewhat and it's, I don't, I don't really fall into the perfection. I'm, I'm, I'm okay to just get it up there and get something done, but I will procrastinate. Sometimes I have wondered if it's just, I like the pressure of it. It's what, it's what kind of gets me finally focused and get rid of the distractions is the pressure of that. I don't know where that fits in. Is that still part of the, Yeah, I don't know that I would necessarily call that a, like a fear based, Mm -hmm. um, personality type like this for the specific fear archetypes the procrastinator archetype is that's where that's where you're actually like getting held back because you're so afraid of making a mistake that you will overly prepare or do things the pressure but you liking the pressure of the last minute is not necessarily is not you're not doing that out of a out of fear it's just because it kind of it's almost like the adrenaline you know like i'm like that in some things too where i you know, I write this weekly newsletter every single week and my team has begged me for years to like, can you please just maybe do it the day before or, you know, give us a little bit more time to get yeah. that sent out. And I'm like, nope, the morning of that, it, it's like the right things always come to me the morning of. And I don't, I don't consider that procrastinating. Like it is a time block on my schedule. It is but I like, I like the pressure of knowing this has to be done right now because all the good ideas come to me. So, oh but I don't gosh, see yeah. that as a fear thing at all. Okay. <laughs> I, yeah, I'm dead on that. And my team's the same way that doing the podcast here has finally forced me to set the deadline about two weeks out. Cause they need that much time to do all the social media and do all that kind of stuff. And it's yeah. so difficult because I'd rather do last minute. Well, I have one more question on, on this, uh, on this category, uh, Elizabeth Sickler. She says, I think my results go with my anagram type. I'm a one and a procrastinator. I fear failure or doing it wrong or not well enough. Uh, she talks a little bit more about the anagram, but I was just going to refer again. We've mentioned personality types. Do you generally see, and I know we can't do a a synopsis on all the different personality types, but take the disc for instance, that Mm -hmm. generally with certain personality styles go different fear archetypes, or is it not that simple? You know, I haven't done enough research on that either to know what the answer is on that to see, to, to cross-reference people's results. I think it would be really interesting. I do, and I'm not, I don't do, haven't done discs, so I'm not super familiar with that particular one. And I'm also not super familiar with Enneagram, which I know is like the Nashville, that is the, the, the Nashville yeah. crowds, like ultimate. I know. Enneagram. I don't know. My, I don't know mine either. I think I did it once, but anyway. yeah, I know that I'm a three. And I, but I don't know if that like corresponds to, okay. are you also a three? I don't know. I don't remember. You don't know. Don't you don't even know what your number uh-huh. is. So I, I don't, I'm sure there probably is some correlation to that, but again, I, I feel like it's also measuring some d- different things. So, so there might not always be exact yeah. correlation. Um, but I have found too that, um, people who, are high fact finders. Like if you, if you talk about Colby, um, I don't know if you're familiar with Colby at all, but people who are high fact finders, I've also seen that have tend to be more, have more of the procrastinator archetype, but again, there it's measuring different things. So Okay. Just, Who knows just, what the overlap is? I think that would probably be really well, There's somebody else's study. They can study do that and write, do. write their own book. Yeah. <laughs> uh, well, People Pleaser was our last category. We had 18 people. So we had a, a big majority, interestingly, do that. Uh, the first, the, literally the first person uh, who responded to that, she's uh, Lorena Moore. She says, People Pleaser. Hmm. Let me ask around and found out what my people think about that. Uh, which I thought was, was funny. Uh, another one here, Liza Naylor. She says, people please are ugh. I have worked hard to become my own person and find my own voice. It's disheartening to see people pleaser. Uh, might as well have said wallpaper. Although frankly, a simple test doesn't really reflect all of our complexities, uh, but it is a snapshot. I'm working to find my voice and work towards an impactful life. But that's a harsh talk about shame. Back to that. Yeah, which is amazing because a lot of people for the people pleaser one, a lot of people will go, "Oh yeah, that's totally that's totally me. I'm such a people pleaser." And they all, or they'll almost wear that as a badge of honor like, "Yeah, I'm a people pleaser." So it's interesting to me to see the shame attached to that too. Mm-hmm. But I think that it's it's 
you know, every single one of these, like there's people pleasers are great people to know. They're great people to be around. They are the, usually some of the most personable, caring, loving, considerate people that you will ever, ever meet. There's so many great qualities that people pleasers have, but we're in the area that it can hold you back is in almost the part that she was referring to, like being the wallflower or being afraid to speak up or being afraid to assert yourself for the fear of upsetting other people or letting other people down. When you put other people's needs above your own consistently as a, just a way of being, that is, that's definitely going to hold you back. Okay. Well, let me ask on that one. That was my second highest one. Mm-hmm. And we've talked about my wife and I specifically have talked about that in recent months because some of it rings true in that, but she, she kind of pushed back on it. She said, Kevin, you're just really conflict averse one. Now I, I don't like people to think poorly of me, but I'll still, I'll still push and do what I want to do. But, uh, yeah, on the people pleaser, it's almost, we've been grappling with this almost more of just a self-protection aspect. And what I end up doing is just not being honest with my feelings because they may offend somebody. It may cause friction. I don't like conflict. So I am often not honest with my feelings and that has its own. Well, and part of that is also like those, and I would guess that the rejection aspect and Mm -hmm. the the people pleasing aspect are kind of interplaying there a lot. And, and so outcasts can be, totally not people pleasers at all. Like I'm an outcast, but not a people pleaser. So I don't huh. struggle with that. I am, I love conflict and I wow. <laughs> probably too much. Okay. I am not afraid of conflict one bit that which to sometimes to my detriment. Um, but in that aspect, I think you probably, I'm going to guess that like you will not, you will not speak up or have the conflict with people, but then you'll just go out and like do your own thing almost in a passive aggressive 100%. Yep. Yep. Passive, passive. Yeah. So those two are definitely, and that's why, that's why the full assessment is so interesting because it actually speaks to that and how your top fear archetypes are working together in different ways. So your outcast and my outcast look different because of the way that our second and third um, archetypes are playing out also. Well, and there is the reason, yeah, promotion shamelessly again of getting the full <laughs> report because like this Vanessa Stewart, and I actually, uh, I, I know Vanessa a bit and she says people pleaser. She said that fits me perfectly. It's something I've known about myself for a long time. Even though I know it, it's still hard to stop making decisions based on what others will think about me. And that's absolutely not me as a people pleaser. I, I'll, I'm going to make, I am going to make my own decision regardless of what anyone thinks, but I probably won't talk to them about it and have conflict. I'll just go do it. Yeah. So different than her. And yet we both are so high on the people pleaser, but there's a bunch yes. of people who responded about that. The pressure of making decisions based on what others will think about me. That's going to influence a lot of things. Yeah. Yeah. And that's so interesting to, it's so interesting when you start really diving into this and the way that it plays out for each person and how that can be such, because as for me, as a non-people pleaser, that does not resonate for me at all. Mm -hmm. I do not feel like whatever that feeling is where of being worried about what other people are going to think, I do not have it. That does not strike me. But when I talk about to other people about my fear of asking for help, that Mm -hmm. for so many people does not resonate at all. They go, why, what, like, why would that strike fear in you? Why would, why would that be hard? That doesn't sound hard at all. And so it's so, it's so important for us each to understand that the way that we experience fear is very personal to each person. And it feels 100% real. It is your truth. And even if you're not necessarily identifying it yet at this point in your life as fear, Mm -hmm. it's just, this is just the way that I am. Like it is happening. And so the more you can get in touch with that, the more you're then able to create the solutions and actually start to go, Oh my gosh. Okay. My eyes are opened. Here's what, here's what I need to do next in order to stop having this hold me back in life. And that's what I so often have been coming to in my later years is realizing why do I keep doing the same things over (laughs) and over and having to go back and figure this stuff out so I can better understand it. And therefore then 
do it differently, do it scared, not overcome at all. But we started off talking about, or I did, I brought up the aspect that nature versus nurture type thing. And it was from uh, Kim Duncan here. She's the one that brought it to my mind. She said, people pleaser was her number one. I worry way too much about what others think. I come by it. Honestly, I see a lot of the same things in my dad. So again, I'll ask you again, is there, is that relevant to put that much weight on an example you've been shown as opposed to, like you said too, I've got a bunch of kids and I see them all in the same environment, very different naturally. Yeah. I think, I think there's a lot of the aspects of it that are just like the way that we are wired is we're wired a certain way. I think the fear archetypes are impacted by experiences that we've had. And, you know, especially there's some more than others, like for instance, um, the, the pessimist archetype specifically often comes like the people are who score high in the pest on the pe- pessimist fear archetype have experienced, you know, some extreme hardship or extreme poverty or hmm. tragedy or something in their life that has gotten them to a place of just wanting to give up and thinking, why should I even bother? I'm just going to get hurt again. Hmm. Whereas, and that could have been childhood trauma. Whereas somebody you like a people pleaser, that might just be the way that you were wired. You were, but but it also could have been impacted by the fact that if your parents were always fighting and you were the one who was trying to make it okay all the time as growing up as a child, or it could have been the thing that was modeled for you. Um, you know, there's, there's so many different aspects that come into play in that. I don't know that you can necessarily just pinpoint it and say, this is, this is the way I was born, or this is only a, a result of how I was raised, or this is only a result of, of the things that have happened to me in my life. Goodness. Well, uh, here's another one. Dan Moyle, he says, no surprise here. I'm a people pleaser. I've also been called peacemaker. Uh, and he said the thing that jumped out of him from the report was he has in quotes, you consistently undervalue your unique skills and abilities. How does that fit in to the people pleaser category? That, well, the, that was, that was the one that really resonated with him. Is that what he said? Yeah. That, that statement, I guess that description. I think that that's where, when you are, when you're working to please other people, you're, you're not necessarily building yourself up or, or putting yourself first. You're constantly putting other people ahead of you Mm -hmm. or their needs ahead of yours, which is, that's a problem, you know? And, and there's an aspect of that. Again, there's an aspect of that, that is serving you because you want to be liked, you want to, you want to have great relationships and you probably do have great relationships. You probably are well liked. And there's what's, what's bad about, about that part of it. Well, the part that is, it can be harmful is where you're so valuing other people's opinions and other people's needs above your own, that you're, it's to the detriment of, of the things that you really want to do, or even not even allowing yourself to think about the things that you want to do because you're so worried about taking care of everybody else's needs. And I see that a lot, um, a lot with moms who get to a point where, you know, their kids get a little bit older and they've spent so much of their lives who are uh, thinking and and caring for their, their family and raising their family. And all of a sudden they go, I don't know who I am anymore. I don't know who I am and I don't know what I want. And they try to, they try to seek that out from other people. Okay. Here's two that line up exactly with what you just said. Uh, Jennifer Meisel, she says 49% people pleaser. It's pretty accurate when it comes to wanting everybody to like me at work, wanting to please all my clients and going way, way, she has way, why, 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 why over and above to please a client at my expense, at my expense, she says. And right after that, Christine Apple, she says people pleaser 69%. Yep. I have a hard time saying no to people who ask me to do something. However, I hate asking people to help me. I'm independent and usually do not have a problem completing my to-do list yet. Uh, I yet I do not have enough margin to do the things I really want to do or to do the long-term goals. And Ruth, that one, that one hits me personally. And that was, that was kind of a, a personal, uh, personal crucible a few years ago for me hitting on my own, I'll call it Superman, God complex, whatever it was. A lot of my identity is that I, whether it's I boss or I, uh, da- uh, spouse or I as father, 
I fix everything. I do everything. And I, I'm going to, I'm going to do whatever anybody needs. I'm going to get it done. And I did it and I did it and I did it to where my own, I had no boundaries. Bottom line. That's what brought me into that term and reading, you know, there's a lot of books on that. Yeah. And I still, it's one of the things I struggle with the most. And I recently here, I'll show, you'll appreciate this as a, as a spouse. Uh, it wasn't long, uh, gosh, two months ago, my wife and I were I have to remember what we're doing. I, I don't know, but she asked me to do something. And I said, sure. Um, I think I even brought it up. Hey, would you like whatever? She said, yeah. And I said, sure. And I finally came back about five minutes later. She, I said, honey, you know what? I, if I do that, I can't do that with a good heart. I, I, I don't want to. And I, it's just my, there's, there's my nature to do something to offer yeah. it even. And yet I'm going to do it with bitterness. And there's yeah. what I do. And she said, I have never loved you more true story. Oh, that's amazing. Yeah. I love that story. And I think, I think that is so true. And that, that is the, the, one of the biggest dangers for people pleasers, because there is, everybody has a limit. And if you're constantly putting everybody else's needs above your own, there is a point where the bitterness will happen and, or, you know, or the anger or the resentment, or there will be a point where you are, are just mad. And that can, it can all come kind of boiling, boiling to the surface in, yeah. in, in dangerous ways. So yeah, you gotta, it's, and it's hard for a people pleaser. The conflict aspect is really hard for people pleasers of fighting back. We deal with that a lot with my team because, and I've, I've realized, and I think this might be a tra an outcast trait. Um, I hire a lot of people pleasers. Wow. <laughs> and so, um, but then we also talk about a lot with our team, like the importance of constructive conflict and the importance of, you know, fighting for the best ideas. And that is, that is important for a team to be able to do that. But it's hard when you have a team of people pleasers who are so nice and so accommodating and wanting to get along with people all the time that we don't necessarily like get to the, those points. So that's something that we have to actively work on as a team constantly. How can we add more conflict? How can we mine for that conflict? Well, it's interesting. Yeah. To think about job roles, because if you've got some business that's customer service focused, which I imagine yours has a lot of that within it, you want those people. And yet if you are, uh, you know, somebody who's, who's doing codes on homes, a home inspector or something like that. And you don't want that type of person. You want the person that's going to say it like it is, yes. you know, I'm going to end on one here and I'm not even going to read her whole thing. Um, but just to let us end on, on a big piece of this, when we talk about fear, we're so much talking about overall our own self image and all the good and bad around that. Susan Bennett here, she says, I'm a people pleaser. I derive my value from what others think of me. That pretty much hits the nail on the head. And she goes on to talk about that a little bit. I won't read the rest of it, but she is just really talking about self-image and so much, even this talking about the people pleaser and me just talking about my own uh, propensities in this and my self-image is wrapped up in it. We're talking about what she is saying here that where do we let this fear come in and bring our self image. I mean, I've got to think that that's, you know, at the root of what you're trying to do, it's, it's of course to help people perform better, but it's how they view themselves. I mean, again, you started yes. this thing off with shame and, uh, it's pretty telling when that's a primary perspective vernacular that comes out from people when they see this. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, so true. And it, it really is. It all comes down to how, how we view ourselves and what we believe ourselves capable of, because ultimately that's really where, where, what fear is and what fear does to us. It, ru it, it ruins our self-esteem. And when we can start to push, because the opposite of fear is confidence. And so when we can start to build up that courage muscle and, and actively practice even small steps is, um, related to our, our biggest fears and related to these specific fear archetypes where fear is manifesting in our itself in our lives, where we can actively work to say, okay, I'm going to, I'm going to push myself here in this one area. If I'm a people pleaser, I am going to push myself to maybe speak up a little bit more, or maybe say no a little bit more or do these things because every time you do it, it gives you a little bit more courage and a little bit more strength to do do it the next time. And I mean, you're the perfect example. You, you had that moment with your wife where you said, I don't want to do this thing that I just offered to do for you. And I will do it with bitterness. And her response then I'm sure will give you the courage now to mm -hmm. next time 
say no immediately and you'll be stronger every single time that you can continue practicing that. Well, Hey, this, uh, everything I wanted more out of this, thank you for the coaching session that we've gotten here. And I, I think that everybody who does the assessment should listen to this show because it helps to grapple with those things that we resonate with the ones that we're not sure about. Uh, again, getting the full report, I recommend it to everybody, but Ruth, thanks for being back with us again and you. uh, sharing your own giftings with us, your anointings. It's just, uh, it, it's incredibly valuable. I'm so grateful that you brought it into our lives. Well, thank you so much for having me back and yeah, I will come and talk about it anytime. Maybe we'll have to come do a follow-up show in a year or so and see how people are doing. (laughs) It's a date. It's a date. Thanks so much, Ruth. (laughs) Thank you. Well, there you go, folks. Master fear coaching with Ruth Sukup. Again, I can't encourage you enough to take her fear assessment at doitscared.com slash assessment and check out her book, Do It Scared, wherever you buy books. Well, coming up next in show 697, we have our habits show and we're back with Dr. Randy James. I mean, we just continue to hear it over and over again. I don't think we can hear it enough. We are the sum of our daily habits and rituals. In this episode, we talk with Dr. Randy James, whose main interview with us was show 695. It was titled, Do You Want to Be Weller? And here's how where we discussed how to get optimal performance out of ourselves so our bodies and minds are fully functioning. Well, in this episode, you'll hear how some of the core routines for Randy with him and with his family are, as he says, just the anchors for his life. Uh, and I, as his, one of his best friends, have gotten to witness it firsthand. Much of his family time, he tells us, is centered around meals and sports. Good sleep is his primary focal point for his own personal health. It's his weak area, actually, that he's trying to strengthen. His personal time is often made up of sports, reading, which is often done on a treadmill, a good meal, a movie, and some great wine. You can connect with him at a few places. His clinic is truelifemedicine.com. The new podcast that he and I have launched is the True Life Show and the alternative health insurance revolution that you're going to hear about more and more and more is at truelifeprotect.com. Well, folks, till then, thank you as always for letting me walk with you as we inspire our true performance together.